This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. This episode of This Week in HPC is brought to you by Bright Computing, smarter HPC clusters no matter what the future brings. Visit brightcomputing.com. Japan's Fugaku supercomputer races to number one. Highlights from Top 500 and ISC 2020. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Tiffany Trader. Tiffany, it was a busy week this past week in HPC as it was the ISC 2020 conference, and that always comes with a lot of news, including the semi-annual Top 500 list. And this week we had a big bang on the top top 500 list with a new supercomputer called Fugaku at the Riken Center for Computational Science, and that is our new number one supercomputer. Yeah, so coming off the ISC 2020 conference, the first ISC digital event, this was a big win for, for Japan, for Fujitsu, and for ARM, and they have uh, launched the Fugaku supercomputer, Supercomputer Fugaku, in Japan at Riken. And this is a 415.5 petaflops uh, Limpack system. Um, and it's a really a, a crowning achievement for, for these partners, for Fugaku and, uh, I mean, for Riken and for, for Fujitsu. This machine is powered by Fujitsu's 48-core A64FX processor. This is only the fourth ARM machine ever on the list. It's definitely the first ARM, ARM system to, to come up into the number one spot. Uh, it's almost, a th- almost three times um, higher Limpack score than the, than the predecessor, than Summit, which is now in second place, the U.S. machine. Um, and in fact, it swept top honors not only in the, the high-performance Limpack, it also set records in HPCG, uh, the, the high performance computing gradient uh, benchmark it got I think a 6x over the the, the next closest system and uh, about a 1.5 higher efficiency rating uh, out of the, the peak flops in that category it was at the top of the graph number one of the graph 500 and then it also got uh, set um, a record in the HPLAI benchmark with uh, 1.4 exaflops in that new AI benchmark. Um, and then it can also be found in the upper echelon. I would say it's also a, a win for the Green 500, not in number num, not in number one place, but in, in ninth spot, which is very impressive for a number one system. And it did that with 14.67 gigaflops per watt. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this Fugaku supercomputer, and I I don't I don't know what I would have bad to say about it. This is a really beautiful machine, a great architecture, co-designed by Riken and Fujitsu. Let's start with this processor itself, the A64FX ARM-based processor from Fujitsu. This is a processor we've talked about before on this podcast that Fujitsu was uh, producing it. They've also licensed it to HPE through Cray for systems there. Um, This is 158,976 nodes, so basically 159,000 nodes. These ARM processors have a lot of memory bandwidth, and there's 32 gigabytes per node in a 4x8 high bandwidth memory configuration for 4.8 
five petabytes of total memory and 163 petabytes a second of total memory bandwidth. That's just huge in terms of the memory performance capabilities of this machine and really highlights, I think, one of the advantages of going to an ARM architecture uh, that ARM we've seen doing very well in things that uh, that are memory bandwidth sensitive and this architecture using the the Fujitsu Tofu D interconnect has really carried that through a, a wide range of benchmarks here in addition to that memory there's also uh, 15.9 petabytes or 100 gigabytes per node of level one storage in the form of NVMe. So that's basically 100 gigabytes a second of essentially fast scratch per node. So that, that's almost an extension of memory to go to a level one storage in an in, in, uh, NVMe format. So I think there's a, a lot going on here that, that really does speak to high performance. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you also mentioned, but that Tofu D60 Taurus network provides uh, 6.49 petabytes per second injection bandwidth on top of the other specs that you, you mentioned. And altogether, all there are 7.3 million, 7.3 million ARM cores running at uh, 2.2 gigahertz. And then all told, uh, Fugaku delivered a, a Limpack efficiency of, of very impressive, uh, 80.87, so almost 81%, you know, their, their, their R max to their R peak flop. So very good there. And you know, we'll just highlight, you know, what a win for ARM this week. This was, like I was saying, this was only the fourth ARM system on the list. And it was only, it was only 18 months ago. So uh, November 2018, that the very first ARM system came on the list, and that was that Astra Sandia system. And as has been pointed out, a lot of things come in in supercomputing; they'll come in at the top. And you know that was the case. That was the that was not only the first ARM system on the list; it was the it came in at the at the petascale, uh, came in over a petascale. So it was the first petascale ARM supercomputer too. And now we have uh, four systems, four ARM systems on the list. Uh, and two of those are in the the green 500 too, um, which we'll we'll talk about. You know, the the ARM, the Fugaku prototype came in on the green 500 at number one on the last list. I think that's at four now, and you have uh, Fugaku itself at number nine. So just a very impressive farm. And then they had a, a good week, not only at the high end. You know, they also had a good week at the consumer level too. We learned this week that. Apple just, um, has uh, switched switched um, from Intel over to its own custom ARM chips for for some of its machines, and um, you know many of our listeners will, rem will remember when Apple made its last big CPU migration in 2006 when it shifted from PowerPC processors over to Intel x86, and now they're making the move to ARM. And uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that Apple will. Um, that this that this move will take about two billion dollars out of Intel's coffers. So you know it's a it's a big win for for ARM, but uh, it's it's somewhat even a a bigger loss for Intel here. Yeah, that's not really directly an HPC story, but it does speak to the volumes around Intel and x86 versus ARM, which has really been powering up from the low end. You have ARM processors in your in your cell phones and your uh, tablets, and and now Apple is really trying to move toward all ARM throughout all of its products. But back at the high end, uh, this new system at the Recon RCCS 
uh, Kobe campus. This is where they previously had the K supercomputer, which was the world's number one most powerful supercomputer back in 2011. It was re it was decommissioned to make room for Fugaku coming in, the post-K computer that we were calling it for a while. Uh, this has 80% more nodes than K had, going from 88,000 nodes up to the the 100, basically 159,000 uh, nodes in the Fugaku supercomputer. So it, it's it's really this uh, fantastic machine and brings the number one back to Japan where it hasn't been in uh, in nearly a decade. And when I look at this machine and the fact that it's using ARM processors, I think it's going to set the standard for how a new generation of supercomputers will be built outside the United States. In the U.S., I think they're going to continue to lean on Intel and AMD for a while. Um, but if you wanted to move away from an American CPU um, uh, provider, now the ARM licensing really has that opportunity. And I think we'll see these uh, continuing in Japan, China, in Europe. Uh, we've got a lot of ARM deployments in the works, and, and this it really has the ability to set the standard. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um, you, you see countries looking for an alternative to, um, you know, t towards more homegrown and uh, non-U.S. Uh, ecosystems. So that tracks uh, with me too. So uh, in addition to the big Fugaku at the top, you know, there were there were four other new systems in the top ten. It was actually some some nice turnover in the top ten uh, this year. Um, this this cycle, which has been uh, has had relatively uh, not much activity in the last you know the last few cycles of the, the the November list had no no new entrants in, in the top uh, top ten at all. So this 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 time there were four new ones. And the next new top supercomputer coming in at number six is HPC five. This is manufactured by Dell and deployed at Italian energy firm NESPA uh, with a Limpac rating of thirty five point five petaflops. So. What's, uh, what's notable here is we continue to see these energy sector supercomputers. They keep climbing in the ranks, and this one has uh, achieved a notable sixth-place ranking. I think the other big thing to look at here is that Dell is now the provider for the largest commercial supercomputer as well as the largest academic supercomputer, which is the Frontera system at TAC, both top 10 systems. And it's easy to I hear people dismiss Dell and say, well, oh, they don't play in this top echelon of supercomputing. I think they do. They haven't been in the top government labs but to have two top 10 systems and the largest in industry and the largest in academia, I think Dell really has shown that they are in there in some of the world's largest supercomputers. Right. So that, that's, um, that'll bring us to our next, our next biggest system and our, uh, another new system. So this is Celine at number seven. And this is a, another industry supercomputer, but of, of a different of a different different industry from you know the tech industry. Um, so Celine is at number seven with twenty seven point five eight petaflops. It is made by and for Nvidia uh, as an in-house asset for their hardware design, their chip development, their model building, um, autonomous vehicle projects, other projects that they have, as well as kind of a, a showcase system for for customers and would-be customers. It is uh, based in the U.S. up at their their headquarters in the Bay Area. It's a Superpod, D DGX Super Superpod, powered by their new Ampere A100 GPUs, as well as AMD Epic Rome CPUs. So a big win for AMD as well. Uh, and this this system also got a very notable 
second um, came in second on the green 500 as well, crossing the 20 gigaflops per watt of, of performance, and they they delivered a 20.5 gigaflops per watt on that. Um, energy efficiency metric. Yeah, this is interesting with it being an internal system for NVIDIA. Now, there have been other lab systems that have been internal for various vendors on the list at different times. I can't recall one ever being in the top 10, though. It's certainly possible that there has been one, but but not in not not that immediately come to my memory. So this is uh, really a huge supercomputer to be in the top 10 and to be an internal asset for NVIDIA, I think really making the case for building out these hybrid HPC AI systems with their SuperPod architecture. It also really underlines the fact that NVIDIA has become a system vendor in this space with DGX and their HGX reference architectures. They're not a, you know, a huge amount of volume and we're not you know, seeing them to where it, it really looks like huge competition right now with their own customers. But uh, when when we've been adding up the server numbers for HPC as analysts, it certainly has become something that we have to factor in, that NVIDIA is now a viable system vendor in high-performance computing, and they're showing that with this top 10 SuperPod system, Selene. Mm-hmm. And the next system that we'll get to is in coming in at ninth place. This is Marconi 100, Marconi 100 to dif differentiate it from another Marconi machine. Um, this is installed at Chineca, the Chineca Research, Class Research Center. It has a LIMPAC rating of 21.6 petaflops. Uh, it was built by IBM using the Power9 processors in combination with the NVIDIA V100 GPUs. And uh, the Chineca folks, they say that this is the largest academic supercomputer in Italy and in Europe. Yeah, and there's a couple of good things to say about here. First of all, that IBM picks up a win with the power architecture. We haven't been talking about IBM as much, but they had those big coral systems, and it's nice to see the follow-ons with the power architecture and the NVIDIA GPUs uh, continuing to establish that as, as a large supercomputer platform. Also with Chineca, uh, that's a site where we talked on this podcast or, or a few months ago to Carlo Cavazzoni of Ch Chineca and what they were doing with COVID-19. That was right at the heart of one of the major outbreaks of COVID-19 as it was spreading through Italy. And this is a big part of the research that Chineca has been doing. And that really loops us back around to the other thing I wanted to say about Fugaku at the top of the list. This is early for them. Um, this is not the first time Japan has managed to deploy a supercomputer ahead of schedule. They did it with K and they've done it again here, deploying ahead of schedule. And they specifically did that in order to get it into production for COVID-19 research. And that was a lot of what they were talking about at ISC, uh, not just for Fugaku, but the supercomputing uh, industry in general, the community in general, rallying together to try to provide resources for COVID-19 research. Well, we also have a newcomer at the top of the green 500. So, and this one is also from Japan, but instead of uh, being a, a well-known company like Fujitsu, this is a startup, an AI startup called Preferred Networks, a surprise entrant on the top of the 500, uh, the green 500. And their system is called the MN3 system. And it delivers a, a, a record-setting 21.1 gigaflops per watt on, on the green 500. Um, and out of a 1.62 limpack petaflops overall. 
So it's uh, its top 500 ranking is three 394th place. And this their system, their MN3 system uses Intel Xeon CPUs in combination with their, their in-house MN core dedicated AI accelerator uh, successor to their their previous their previous system, which um, used NVIDIA V100 GPUs. This one uses their their proprietary in-house developed uh, chips, uh, they, which they said they do don't don't plan on, plan on selling. Uh, they are they will be using it for their own R and D efforts. Yeah, and this is interesting in that you know it's always good to get number one in anything, and and here's a, a company we haven't been talking about that snagged a number one spot on the green 500, and and I think really took it away from Nvidia, who stood to be number one with Celine, which is a huge achievement to be a top ten supercomputer and then be right there that close on on green 500 as well, comparing the the. Uh, uh, the preferred network's uh, number one system with Celine. You know, first of all, Celine is a much bigger system, but then beyond that, the one that actually came in at number one, in addition to being smaller, its Linpack efficiency uh, isn't that good to com <laughs> uh, compared to a lot of the other systems on the top 500. So I, to me, Celine is the more interesting machine there at number two, uh, but uh, getting number one, always an achievement and uh, welcome to the list. That's right. You really like to see machines at the high high end of the top 500 also do well in in the green in the top of the green 500 because it, it speaks well to the potential to 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 scale these these uh, efficiency metrics. And on this list, it was nice. It was nice to see Celine in number two on the green 500. You know, also in the top 10 of, of the top 500. Uh, as well, there were a few other pretty high ranking systems too. That HPC5 system we just talked about from Dell uh, um, at, at that uh, Italian firm, Any, they are number six on both lists, so that's that's good. Uh, Summit and Sierra, you know, um, were were previously uh, number one and number two systems. They're also high up on the Green 500 as well. So it was good to see. It was good to see all those systems, all those systems there. And then another thing that I really liked about uh, both the top 500 and the green 500 was uh, some diversity that we're seeing on these lists. There's more geographical diversity in, on the, on the, top, the top 500, you can see Japan, US, China, Italy, Switzerland, two from Italy in fact in the top 500. And I mean, I don't have other lists in front of me, but I think there's other years where you might only see two countries in the top 10. So now we have one, two, three, four, you know, five. Uh, and then if we expand that to the top 20, we'll add Germany, France, and South Korea. So it's just nice to see that broader participation. And then in the green 500, a big win for Japan. They have four systems on the green 500 in, the, in that top 10 ranking. But in the, in the top 10, we also see US, Italy. If we expand that to the top 20, we'll add in China, Taiwan, Canada, and United Arab uh, Emigrants, um, United and the UAE. And um, seeing some vendor diversity too. So in the top 500, we have, on uh, the top of the top 500, we have Fujitsu, we just talked about, IBM we talked about, Dell, NVIDIA, Cray, uh, the two Chinese government system makers. Um, possibly there's some input from Sugan and, and Spur there, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, so that was nice. And then all of the top five machines on this list were also number one machines as well. So that's, I suppose that's, not that surprising. Yeah, in terms of the overall energy efficiency and getting these systems that are in the top 10 on both, I, I think, first of all, that is a great achievement. And second of all, I think it's just showing that as we go forward in this March closer toward exascale, how important power efficiency is as a topic of conversation. 
not only that it has to be designed in for environmentally friendly reasons, but just the practicality of reaching that level of scale that if you're not managing power efficiency, it's just it's too hard to get there. It consumes too much electricity. So that might be the start of a trend where where we really see in order to get up into these hundreds of petaflops and towards exaflops, you're going to have to be best of class in power efficiency in order to do that. So top 500, green 500, HPCG, all great stories coming out. Now there's a lot more from ISC as well. And of course we talked about COVID-19 quite a bit. It was a major focus of Thomas Sterling's Wednesday keynote, which was streaming. I thought ISC did an excellent job putting on a, a lot of content for, as you mentioned, Tiffany, what was their first ever digital event. They had a record number of not only attendees, but participants. They were counting how many people they were saying checked in for the event in order to consume content. Now, it was a free event. You didn't have to travel anywhere, but they were already at record levels by the time the, the conference started, and they were a little over 4,000 uh, uh, checked-in attendees. And by the time uh, they finished counting, uh, I, I, I didn't think I saw a final number, but they were getting close to 4,500, which was... Uh, Really an outstanding number and, and well done with a, a, a digital conference and a mix of live content and streaming content, I thought. I agree. I agree. They did a remarkable job and really wonderful that it was free to register and attend. It made it more inclusive. You can, you know, you can find a lot of coverage on our site. HPC Wire and on the ISC site, you can find, I think you can still register, I believe, um, to, to see that content there, it's isc-hpc.com. You know, until we can get back to in-person events, this is the next best thing. And I think one upside here and one takeaway is that conferences will, I hope, con con consider continuing this to have a strong virtual component even when things go back to in-person. This is, as you know, this is especially important for underserved communities that do not don't have the resources for for this kind of travel. So I hopefully that that's a good takeaway. I think one more thing that we do want to highlight, and we we like to highlight, is the student cluster competition, which was uh, really um, robust this year. Uh, ISU this year was a little different, of course, because it was a virtual, but there was no there was no physical floor space to build the clusters on. So the teams instead uh, were competing to run their workloads on the same cluster, which was a system supplied by the National Supercomputing Center in Singapore. And we we have the winners from that. The, the, the winners were announced this week. That's right. Number three was Tsinghua University in China. Number two, CHPC South Africa, which I think is on a string of podiums here. They're always up there somewhere. And then number one, uh, University of Science Technology uh, in, in China, USTC in China, uh, taking that number one spot. I always love seeing the student cluster competition, and I I checked in live to catch the awards ceremony, even though it was late at night here in California. I think this is really important, everything we can do to bring more talent into high-performance computing. And, and what I liked this year, first of all, I think there was a real value in the fact that everyone was baselined on the same cluster. It had a sort of NASCAR feel to it, that there wasn't a big advantage in my cluster is just uh, inherently faster than your cluster. This really came down to how, how good a job the students did 
programming and managing those machines. And also there was a, a great spectrum of real HPC applications, including one called HP Tinker, which is modeling the COVID-19 protease. So, you know, the students could really feel like here they are at the forefront of what's current in science right now. And, uh, and I think demonstrated excellent work in, uh, in, in this student cluster competition. Kudos to all the students. There was also a fan favorite, which was UPC out of Spain. And thanks also to the HPC AI Advisory Council for sponsoring the event. All in all, a great conference, a great top 500 list, lots to consume. And uh, as uh, Tiffany, you, you mentioned, it's it, even though the conference is over, it's not too late to go register. All this content is still online. And this doesn't mean that I don't want to go back to in-person events. There's something about the community. I still would like to be there in Frankfurt next year. We're still maybe fingers crossed that we can make it to Atlanta for SC20, although I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But uh, regardless, I, I think ISC and Top 500 did a good job uh, uh, with the content as they could present it. And uh, and I appreciated the fact that I was able to consume so much of it. I'm still looking at more of the uh, presentations from the exhibitor forum. There's a lot there for me to consume. Thanks again, Tiffany, for uh, another great Top 500 list rundown, as well as ISC, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.